Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title today is The Miracle Meal, where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And speaking of feeding a lot of people, we do that every day. Uh, a lot of people say to me, how does Kim feed so many people? Because it's not just our family, it's our family. You know, there's a lot of friends there, too, and, and, uh, and kids, and everybody's there. And there's always a, a pile of people. How does she do it? Well, I, the secret, I do help out a lot, obviously. Uh, I make toast on Monday mornings on my day off. I make toast for the, I, I toast, toast for the kids. And you think that's nothing. They love my toast. I cinnamon and, uh, anyway, cinnamon sugar. But uh, that's all I do, toast. And peanut butter and pretzels sometimes. But people have trouble wrapping their mind, how does she feed so many people? Because there's always a mob, and they never all sit down at the same time. It's constant waves of people coming in to eat different meals. And she makes it look really, really easy. I don't know how she does it, but she makes it look really, really easy. When I do it, toast I can do all right, but then they want, you know, they ask me when Kim's not there on a certain day, can you do lunch? And they always want peanut butter and pretzels, so I get out the peanut butter and I put the peanut butter down and then the fluff down and the Nutella. I take the orders and I give them pretzels. It takes me a long time. They're like, come on, Dad, we're hungry, we're hungry. But not as slow as other people. Then they start telling me stories. When I'm slow, they say, well, you're faster than Grandpa is. Paul, Jim, you know. I can pick on them because they're away on a trip. They're not going to hear about this probably for a month and this thing will be gone. But, but they say, you should see when Paul does it at, at the shore house when he does lunch for us. He insists on making He won't let Grandma make the sandwiches. He's got to make them. And then he, he's making them and he's so slow, Dad. And they're like, tell me the whole story. And this is the worst part. He licks the spoon and the knife between every sandwich. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't let Jim make you a sandwich. So anyway, <clears throat> I only get away with that because they're in Oregon somewhere, right? But we're going to see that Jesus had a lot of people to feed here in Mark chapter 6, and his disciples had a hard time wrapping their minds around how he was going to do it. We've been on the theme, Mark is focusing on Jesus' power, and we're on this theme of Jesus' power. And we're in a new section here, but he's starting a new part where he's showing Jesus' power through his miracles, through the miracles that he did. And he's teaching his disciples and us some very important lessons on faith. Let's start with prayer. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for bringing us all together for, for this time in your word now. I know we all have many, many battles in our life. And we just need your mercy and grace to hear your word and, and let your word transform our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. Whatever you need to do in our lives, we ask you to do it. We surrender to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to read the passage, and we're up to Mark chapter 6, verse 35, we'll be starting with. It says, by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they, they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy, some, buy themselves something to eat. Now, remember, if you were here a couple weeks ago when we did this part, the disciples, Mark contrasts the disciples with Jesus. The disciples saw people as a pain. 
And Jesus saw them with the eyes of compassion. And we really focus on that. If you weren't here for that one, grab that one. But then he goes on. There's a different focus that Mark has the rest of the verses here. Verse 37. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go out and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them, all, directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Now remember that. Verse 39, the green grass. Because I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples and set them, set them before the people. He also divided the two fish among them. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Now, I wanted you to just go ahead to the book of John here. John chapter 6, because I'm going to actually use this parallel passage this morning because it just brings out a few more details that I want to bring out also. But in John chapter 6, and we'll pick it up with verse, I guess verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. <clears throat> when Jesus looked and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he's going to do. <clears throat> Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not be enough to buy, uh, would not, <laughs> sorry, would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they, had all, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of, five, of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So... We see that Jesus is testing the disciples and us. Let's see how they do on their tests and how we do on our daily tests. Because these tests, I think, parallel a lot of our lives. Look at verse 5 to 7 again. The first test. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked us only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now, remember the last time we talked about this passage, they're in a very remote area. Remember the disciples pointed that out, the apostles pointed that out. Very, very remote. It's late in the day. There were no Wawa's or 7-Elevens uh, to pop into. And this is a big crowd. So Jesus gives them a pop quiz. And this is the first test, test number one. He gives them a pop quiz. And now the disciples, can you imagine Jesus giving you a pop quiz? The disciples probably hated that. Remember, he says he did this only to test them. They probably hated these pop quizzes. Just like 
kids in school, teenagers hate the pop quizzes. Well, the disciples probably hated them too. You can probably imagine whenever Jesus started to quiz them, what did they probably all do? They all probably looked down. Don't, don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact with the teacher or with Jesus. And hopefully Peter will answer. He's always opening his big mouth. He'll probably answer for us, and we're not going to have to do anything. And the last time we failed this test, remember what he did? He called us all those mean names. You all think of loving Jesus, petting sheep, and and picking up children. Listen, Jesus was a a hard teacher sometimes. Uh, He saw right to the heart of things. And remember the last time when he called us faithless generation and you of little faith? And he called them all these, these mean names, you know? And so, oh, oh good, There's, he's calling on Phil. You're probably all relieved because they're calling on, he's calling on Philip now. And probably he called on Philip because Philip was from that area. He was from nearby Bethesda, so he knew where the best place to shop was, you know? Where the local BJ's was, or Sam's Club. And so he calls on Philip, who's from local. And Philip, how did he do on his test? He failed the pop quiz. He failed it. He answered eight months' wages, literally 200 denarii, would not be enough to give everybody even a little snack. Think of eight months' wages, whatever you make in in a year. Take two-thirds of that. That's how much Philip pointed out. Even that much money wouldn't give everybody even a little little snack, not even a mouthful. And the reason he failed this test was because it's true what he said but the reason he failed the test was jesus didn't ask that jesus asked where where are we going to get this this food and he answered how much it would cost you see the difference jesus says where and he tells them how much it will cost he's a numbers guy Uh, he's a bean counter philip right and Jesus knew that's why he, why he picked on them. Every board, every church board has one. Every, every church has them, right? S- statistical pessimists. Uh, they shoot down every idea because, you know, it's negative. They can always see the glass half empty. I know a lot of you think I'm picking on you, but I'm not. Okay, wait just a minute here. Don't, they don't even, he didn't, we don't, these types of Phillips types in the churches, they don't even consider a new idea be, or consider a solution because they just tell how God, they just tell God how it can't be done, Right? Some of you are getting a little red around the collar. But anyway, uh, <laughs> we're all Phillips. That's what I'm getting at here. It's a, but the vital principle here is this. The first step, whenever we're dealing with something in our life, we're dealing something with our church, we're dealing something with our family, the first step is not to measure our resources. The first step is to determine God's will. What, not how much do I have in my pocket, How much do I have in my bank account? What can I do? But what is God's will? And then once we know what God's will is, then we trust him to meet that need. That's the key. And the issue isn't what can we do. The issue is what can God do? What does he want us to do? That's the real issue. That's a really important point here. And this is something because uh, any Phillips here? We all are, right? Raise your hand. I am a Philip. That's why I was kidding everybody. We're, we're all Philips, aren't we? We always think in terms of, what can I do? How can I pull this off? And can I pull this off? Even as a church, we do it, right? It's tempting to fall into that. But the key is, what is God's will? It could be totally impossible. Usually it is what God calls us to do. But what is God's will? And then we trust him to meet that need. It's not about what we can do. It's about what does God want us to do. What can he do? And we're all Phillips at heart, and that's why God has to test us. Anybody been tested lately? 
<laughs> I know we all are, right? It, he tests us to show us our inability and his ability. Our inability and his ability. He puts us in these tough spots for a reason. Why? So that we will look to him. He puts us in a tough spot in our marriage or with our kids or with our job or our finances or with our school or college, with our grades and, and sports, with depression and sickness and even facing death. He puts us in these tough spots so that we'll have to look to him and so that we'll learn what Philip learned here. We will learn not to tell God how we can't do something, but where to turn. We will learn not to tell God how we can't do something, but where to turn. And where do we turn? To God, our Heavenly Father. And so what's, that's Philip. Then I want to look at someone else who tried Jesus' pop quiz. It's, I call this test number two, but it's really the same test. It's just another person taking it. Andrew jumps in in verses 8 and 9. You can tell he's Simon Peter's brother. Uh, another of his disciples, he probably had to jump in all the time to get in a word edgewise with growing up with Peter, right? Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? <clears throat> now, it's really the same test, but Andrew fails it too, doesn't he? He fails it too. He does a little better, but there's still no faith here. Still no faith. He's not as bad as Phil. Phil focused, he didn't, he, he didn't focus on what we don't have, which is what Phil did, right? But he saw what we, we do have, but he didn't see what God had. He wasn't as bad as Phil, who just saw what we didn't have. He saw what he, they had, but he didn't look to see what God had, and that's why he failed that test. He says, we have some fish and chips. We have these barley loaves, and if you know anything about barley loaves at this time, they were the poor man's bread. These, and, and think of loaves, they were small loaves, think of rolls, really, these little roll, barley lo rolls. They were the poor man's food, it was like junky food. This kid was obviously a poor kid. And he also had two small fish. The fish uh, in the Sea of Galilee here, uh, the small fish are called, like what we would call sardine of today. That was half of the fishing industry throughout history has been these little sardine-like fish. Small, small, small fish. This is not much here. Not, and he says, not enough to give you a small bite. Not going to fill you up. Very, very small. Think of, uh, it reminded me of, I was thinking of this, of when I was a youth pastor. We used to have this contest to see how many goldfish you could swallow. Uh, you remember, remember that craze swallowing the live goldfish and how many, and you could swallow a lot of them. They didn't fill you up. And, and I remember we used to have this, con last time I did the contest, I remember we had, uh, I know they don't do it anymore, but I was, this was long ago, 25 years ago. But the, 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 I remember this one contest, we had an all-nighter in the church, and the one guy was trying to swallow as many he couldn't. He got it all at eight or nine. It wasn't filling them, but he could have kept on swallowing. We had a whole tank of goldfish there. He's swallowing them. And all of a sudden, he, 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 he had to sneeze. And he sneezed, and one of the goldfish came out of his nose. <laughs> fell on the floor, slopping around. All oh, the girls, it was bad. I can't remember exactly what happened, but it was bad. That was the end of the goldfish. We never did that again. But he could have swallowed the whole aquarium of goldfish. It wasn't going to fill them up. And this is the picture here. These are tiny little fish. They're nothing. But a little is a lot with God. And we see a third test here in verse 9. There's another person who tries Jesus' pop quiz. Look at this. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, 
but how far will that go among so many? And we read on, we know what happened. The boy passes the test. What was his test? Got to give up my lunch. It's not much, but it's all I got. Just a kid with a little lunch here, a lunchable, right? And, and he, he surrenders it to Jesus. He gives it up. He gives up his five little rolls and his two little sardines there. It's little. It's all he's got, but he's willing to share it. He surrenders it to Jesus. And God does an amazing miracle with it. He blesses many people with this little lunch, thousands of people with this little lunch. And not only that, the kid got to eat all he wanted too. I mean, that five rolls and two fish wasn't going to last a kid long, but he got to eat all he wanted. There was food everywhere. He got to have a smorgasbord. The kids love to go to smorgasbords. Once a year, we, we take them to a smorgasbord out toward Lancaster there. And, and, but I, I always have a joke. I say, we're not going to, the only way you can go is if you can say it. And oh boy, we have fun. I got on video. I always videotaped them trying to, because they're really, I said, you're not going to get to go eat. You're going to sit in the car if you can't say it. Borgeschmork, Borgeschmork. They come up with about 80 different versions of it. But, but this is what this kid got, a smorgasbord. It is a buffet. It is all you can eat. He got to eat all he, all he wanted. <clears throat> Whatever we give to God, no matter how insignificant it is, he can multiply and bless it. And we always get back more than we give. He'll take it and bless it among so many people, and we will always get back more than we give. It's, it, it's guaranteed that that's going to happen. Maybe in your life you think, well, I, I don't have much to give God. I don't have much to offer God or offer other people. I don't, I'm just insignificant. I'm worthless. Put whatever you have. Put your life in God's hands. See what he can do. It's not what you can do, not what we can do, but see what he can do with your life, with what you offer him. And so many times, we are holding on so tight to our little lunches, aren't we? We, we are holding on to our lives and holding on, and we're missing out on blessing so many other people and being blessed ourselves. Because whatever we hold on to, it's when we open up our hands and give it to Jesus. That's when he can do something amazing in other people's lives and in our lives. Then we look, let's look at what Jesus did with it in verses 10 to 13. What Jesus was able to do with this little kid's surrender and, and how he passed the test. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with a fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Wow. 5,000 men, now we know there were women and children there too, there's a little boy there, they mentioned the men who sat down, the women were probably waiting on the men, you know, you know the culture, and so they, most people think there's probably 15,000 people there, with women and children, probably 15,000 people, Pick, picture this, think of uh, 15,000, it's roughly what, maybe uh, 76ers, there's their stadium holds, right, about that, 
although they're not all filled anymore. But I remember when they were full, those seats. And, uh, but imagine being at a Sixers game and 15,000, 18,000, whatever there, all these people, that's what was going on. But Jesus is proving something with this massive crowd here. He proved his power to supply all our needs. That's the point he's making here. He can meet our needs. Jesus can do that. He proved that power by showering the people all this, this food. I don't know if you've ever read some of the wild stories of the rain and when it rains fish. And sometimes there's these water spouts will suck up water and the fish with it. And then it'll move inland and it'll just like throw fish down on, on, on uh, the countryside. Some really wild stories if you've ever seen these stories. And the people are like, it's raining fish. Or, you know, It's because it, the water spout picked them up. But that's really, the, the shock of that is what Jesus did here. Feeding all these people, just feeding them the, the food, everything they wanted. And he was fulfilling something here. Remember when I said about Mark chapter 6, 39, the green grass? He's fulfilling a scripture here. What do you think, what scripture do you think he's fulfilling? Anybody got any guesses? One of our favorites. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. They're sitting here next to the Sea of Galilee. They're on the green grass. And there's no want. I shall not be in want. He's supplying all that they need here. He's fulfilling this. And God promises us to meet our needs if we trust him. If we trust him, he, he promises to meet these needs. And the apostles are learning a very important lesson, the disciples here, and it's a lesson for us too. And this time they passed the test. They failed the beginning part, but they came back and, and, and aced the, the rest of the test. What test did they pass? What was their test here? They seated the people. Why is that a test? Because there was no food. <laughs> there was like five rolls and two sardines. And, and they're thinking, okay, everybody's going to get a little crumb maybe, and they're going to riot for food. You know, that's going to be a riot here. They're, we're going to look really silly. This doesn't make sense. Right? Can you imagine? Everybody sit down. We're going to feed you. But that's what the, the disciples they couldn't figure out where the food was going to come from, but they still passed the test of obedience. That was a big test. The test of obedience when we can't figure out why God is telling me to do this or why he's putting me in this place. But we still obey. And look at the result. Twelve baskets. Every one of them got to carry back a basket full of food. There's no accident. There were 12 baskets for the 12 apostles. Now you would think they would get it. Wait, to, wait to, for a few more chapters when we see they didn't even get it now. But they're, they're dumb just like us dodos, right? But, but, it's, uh, but they passed this test of obedience here. So much of the Christian life is simple obedience. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it won't make sense until a lot later on. Maybe even not until heaven. But it's simple obedience. First, we learn to obey. 
And often we're shown the reasons for that obedience later. It's almost always later, isn't it? But first the test is will we obey him? I think of, of the sexual pressures that we face in our society, especially our young people. It's, it's just unbelievable, the pressure to, to have sex before you get married. And, and I encourage people all the time, wait till you're married and fight for your purity. Even if you're struggling, keep fighting for your purity. Because it goes, even though it goes against everything that's in us and our you know, sinful condition, and it goes against everything in our society, it goes directly against everything the society says, if we will obey God, if we'll fight for our purity, we're going to see blessings in our marriage later on. And we're going to see how we miss devastating damage. And I know a lot of us have those damages, right? We're going to miss devastating damages by obeying Jesus. And that's just one area. Think of all the areas of our life. that It just takes simple obedience, trusting God. How is God speaking to us? How is he speaking to us? How are we being tested today as we get ready for communion here? Maybe it's obedience. There's some area of your life where you say, God, I have to obey you even though it doesn't make sense. Maybe it's surrender. Maybe God is calling us to surrender something or surrender everything. Even if we don't see how it's going to make a difference, God, okay, I'm going to surrender this. Maybe you're in a tough spot this morning. And you're, and you're tempted to try to figure it out, but instead we're going to say, God, give me the grace. Give me the grace. I need you. I need you so I can face this with faith instead of fear. Maybe you're saying you're not a Christian yet. You've heard about Jesus. You know he died on the cross. You know he came back alive. But you've never <clears throat> put your faith in Jesus and given your life to him. And maybe God has you at the end of your rope. So that you'll reach out to him and surrender your life to him and give your life to him and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus proved by this miracle that he can meet all our needs. Even the ultimate need, which is what communion is all about. We're going to be celebrating communion in a few moments. Communion is all about meeting that ultimate need that we have. Did you know that feeding the 5,000 is the only miracle besides the resurrection in all four Gospels. Did you realize that? The resurrection is in all four Gospels, but the only other miracle that is in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the feeding of the 5,000. Because it's really important. And it's all, the reason it's so important is because this miracle is all about Jesus. Because it really wasn't about the bread, it was really about Jesus, the bread from heaven. Jesus is the bread from heaven. Jesus is the bread from life. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And he came to give his life. He came, it's a picture of his body that was given for us. In fact, if you look at Mark chapter 14, look, we were in Mark 6. Go up to Mark chapter 14, verses 22 to 24, he talks about that. <clears throat> he said, while they were eating in the Last Supper here, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, take this this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. And so the, the, the bread is a picture of what he's going to do with his body. And the cup was a picture of what was going to happen to his blood. It's a picture. 
the, the, the bread is the body of Christ. It represents his body and what he did for us on that cross when he died in our place. And the blood represents the blood of Jesus Christ and how he gave his blood to wash away our sins. And what we're going to do in just a few moments, we're going to have a little time of prayer and, and have some worship music playing. And if you want to take communion this morning, if you're ready to take it and you want to take it, I'm just going to encourage you to come up and take a piece of the, the bread and, and a cup, and you can take it back to your seat. You can take it alone. You can take it with your family. You can take it with someone else. However you feel that, it's just between you and God. I want to encourage you, though, if there's two reasons why you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper, why we shouldn't. Number one is if we're not a Christian yet. If you're, you, if you're not a Christian, you're not ready to become a Christian, then just wait. There's nobody, we're not videotaping, nobody's looking around, it's just between you and God. Just pray through this time, it's okay. Or if there's something in our life that we're not willing to surrender, there's a sin in our life where God's been convicting us, and we're like, God, I'm not going to surrender this. I'm not saying if we sin, we all sin. We struggle all the time. That's, that's a battle we're going to fight till we, we're with, we, we are perfected with Christ someday. But if there's something where we're like, God, I will not repent of this. I won't fight this. That's when we, we, are not, we shouldn't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. But I, I hope everybody here will surrender whatever we need to surrender this morning. And if you haven't put your faith in Christ yet, that this morning will be the day you do it. And that you can take communion, not just this morning, but you can commune and connect with God every day. Anytime. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, Let's each one of us just talk to God and prepare our hearts and our minds for this time of communion. Those of us who are already Christians, how is God speaking to us? Maybe there's something with obedience. Maybe it's surrendering something. Maybe it's a trial, a tough spot that we're in that we need to stop trying to figure out how and go to where we need to go, to the throne of grace, to get mercy and grace. From God our Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ. Maybe there's something that we need to repent of and ask God to forgive us and to give us extra grace in a battle we're facing. And while we're praying about that, I want to speak to those who have never put their faith in Jesus yet. Maybe you're here today and you've been on a spiritual journey, and that's super. Keep Stay on that journey, a faith journey. But, but maybe today you're ready to take the step of faith, to become a Christian. To put your faith in Jesus. To give your life to him. And you can do that right where you're sitting. It doesn't take a special ritual or a special person. It's be just between you and God. And you can go to God through his son Jesus. To say, God, please forgive me. Whatever sins I've ever committed or ever will commit, I ask you to forgive me. I'm repenting of them. I'm turning away from them. I ask you to forgive me through your son, Jesus, who died for me. I put my faith in Jesus. Forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus, who died on the cross for my sins, who gave his body and blood for me, who rose again from the dead for me. I put my faith in Jesus. And now I want to follow him. I give you my life, God. I thank you for forgiving me. I put my faith in Jesus and now I want to follow Jesus. I give you my life. I surrender my life to you, Father. If you've prayed that prayer of faith this morning, 
You can now commune with God, not just this morning, but you can commune with God as your Father any time, any day, any second. Wherever you are, you can go to Him for His grace, for His help, for His mercy. And if you have prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to take that step of faith, to let somebody know. Maybe you have a friend here, or a family member, or fill out the card, stick it in the box, tell me, tell somebody so that we can encourage you and be excited for you in your new faith. Father, we pray that you would bless us through your Holy Spirit now as we take communion. Whatever you need to do in our hearts and lives, you would do it. We need your mercy and grace. We come to you in Jesus' name.